to pray. Life can be wedding cake. Summer is a time of fun, food, and sunshine. But don't let the summer pass you by without it making you stronger. Summer Strong series at City First Church, you'll learn the key ingredients that will make you wiser, stronger, better, all because of Jesus. Hello, City First Church family. It is good to see you in church today. I want to say hi to everyone who's a part of City First anywhere, everyone online, Cape Coral, Southwest Florida, God Behind Bars, Dixon and Hardy, as well as the State Line and also the Spring Creek location right here. I hope that you are having a great summer. Can you believe that summer has already in some ways flown by, right? And I pray that this Summer Strong series is leaving you feeling stronger by the week. We've been talking about how during this summer we could slip into a, vac a vacation mindset if we don't watch out. And uh, there's nothing wrong with vacations. In fact, I hope that you get one or you've had one. I really hope you get some R&R. &R. But you cannot take a vacation from Jesus or his church or your faith, right? So as you rest and as you relax, make sure that you're also doing the disciplines of building yourself spiritually so by the time you come out of this summer, you are summer strong, spiritually, emotionally, and even physically, all right? Many years ago, uh, speaking of vacations, Jen and the boys and myself went on a vacation to our favorite spot on the entire planet. It is the island of Kauai. And this is many years ago. This is where they filmed Jurassic Park. It's beautiful. There's waterfalls and mountains and palm trees. It's just, it's, it's literally like paradise. And, you know, the boys were younger and, and they loved going to the beach. We are beach people. How many of you right now, you're a beach person when you go on vacation, right? Like some people are Disney people. Some people are like, let's go to Vegas. Some people are like, tour guide kind of people. They go on these tours and all this kind of stuff when they're on vacation. Not us. The DeWerts, you plop us on the middle of a beach in the middle of nowhere and let us just stare into the, the, the horizon for the rest of the day. I mean, literally, we just love beaches. So anyway, uh, the boys wanted to go to this place called Shipwreck Beach. And uh, it is called that for a reason. And the reason why is because the ocean floor, kind of like the beach, you know, when it goes into the water, under the water, the ocean floor, about 20 or 30 yards out, drops off. There's like a natural shelf, you could say. So when the waves are coming in and it hits that natural shelf, it creates huge waves and they crash right on the beach. And that's why they call it Shipwreck Beach. So it is the perfect place to boogie board if you're into boogie boarding or, or whatever. And I remember these were like eight to ten foot swells this day that we were there. I mean, these things are huge. Like you'd be standing there and they'd just come crashing in on you. And it was a lot of fun. So we're out in the, in the waves and we're getting hammered just, you know, like by the waves. We're getting hammered by the waves. And, uh, and anyway, as we are there, uh, you know, just getting pummeled, right? We're having a great time. And Jen and I are watching both the boys because, again, th this time they're really, they're young, they're little, and we're being very cautious because we respect Mother Nature. Well, anyway, all of a sudden we're playing in the waves, and Jen and Caden, our oldest, and myself 
get caught in what is called a riptide. Now, a riptide is a convergence of like waves and currents that kind of come into the shore, and then they have to exit. And so what happens is, is all of these waves and currents kind of come in, and then it creates this almost the best way to describe it. It's like an under, underwater river. I mean, it's like this current that kind of scoots out, and you can't see them. You don't know where they're at. And I will tell you, it was like in a millisecond, no joke, in a millisecond, we got caught in this current, the three of us, and we were swept 70 yards offshore. Like, I mean, like, literally, it was like that. I mean, I, I think back to this, and I'm like, it was surreal. It was like, we were being super cautious, and all of a sudden, whoo, we are swept out. And uh, they say when you get stuck in a riptide, that you are not to try to swim back in towards the shore, because it's kind of like swimming against a river. You're going to lose every single time, right? So what they tell you to do is they tell you not to swim back in, but rather to swim sideways to get out of the current and then start coming into the shore. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, when you actually get caught in a riptide, you do one thing. Freak out. No joke. Literally. And that's exactly what I did. Immediately, uh, I mean, we are 70 yards off the shore, and, 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 and the beach, like, all of a sudden just went away from us. I am looking for my family. I first find Caden. He's about 10 yards to my right. And, and so I immediately swim over to him, and he was wearing a rash guard, and, and he was boogie boarding that day. So that's kind of like a shirt to make sure that you're not getting, like, grounded into the sand kind of a thing. And I grab the back of his rash guard, and I'm, like, swimming with one one arm and kicking with my legs and I'm hanging on to him because I'm trying to get us not separated apart and then I try to find Jen and Jen's about 15 yards to my left kind of diagonal and and she's closer to the shore and all of a sudden Jen looks at me and I look at her and you know like when you are in a relationship and there's something like going kind of like like there's danger there's something you have a look in your eye like we locked eyes and there was this sense we didn't say anything but we locked eyes and we're like this this is a problem like like we're in trouble right now and I remember I'm hanging on to Caden and I'm trying to keep afloat and these waves are just crashing in and things like that and then the worst thing in the world happened to me the worst thing you could do if you're like out in deep water, and that is this, is that a wave hit me and I took this huge gulp of water. Like I'm trying to breathe in air, and instead I took in water. And I immediately start coughing, and I'm trying to hang on to Caden, and literally I'm coughing, and I mean I'm barely keeping my, my chin above the water. And literally for a second, I'm, I, I'm not making this up, for a second I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, like literally, I thought, is this how it all goes down. Like, like I'm having trouble hanging on to Caden, swimming with one arm, taking in water, and trying to keep afloat. And I'm, I mean, I remember just panicking at that moment. And, 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 and Caden, um, you know, he's smiling. <laughs> he doesn't understand the danger, because again, he's kind of young at this point. But he starts looking at me, he starts looking at mom, and he starts seeing the beach get further and further away, and he himself began to panic. And so we are struggling, and then again, the worst thing happened. I took in a second huge gulp of water. And at this point, I kind of let go of Caden because I needed both arms to be able to keep afloat, and I kept him real close. But I remember thinking to myself, oh, Jesus, this is really serious. And I began to pray in my mind. I was like, Jesus, help me. Help me. 
And Jen had gotten out of the current. She had swam to the side. She got out of the current, and she was a lot closer to, to the shore than us. And I remember I looked at Kate, and I go, come on, and we are just struggling. We are struggling to try to make it in. And I'm thinking, does anybody see me? Everybody else is like boogie boarding, laying out, tanning on the beach. Kids are laughing. And I'm like, I'm drowning out here. And finally, Jen makes it back to the beach before us. And, and, and we're making kind of incremental progress, but Jen actually lands on the beach, and, and she is exhausted, and she's coughing up water, and she gets to our friends. We had a couple of the, uh, that were there, some friends of ours, and they were like kind of sitting on beach towels up the beach. And, and Jen runs up to them, and she's totally exhausted. She's out of breath, and she looks at the guy, and she goes, get in the water. And at that point, the guy looks at her and goes, ah, you know, I'm cool. I don't think I'm going to swim for a little while. And she, <laughs> not understanding what's going on. And Jen, Jen, out of breath and coughing, and in her panic, she yells, get them. Like, that's all she could get out. And at this point, the guy is like, oh, gosh, there's danger. And so she, he, he runs towards the shore. Now, by this point, Caden and I had, by God's grace, by God's grace, literally, had gotten close enough to the shore that we were able to bounce and kind of bounce off of the, 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 the floor, I mean, of, of the ocean. Like, we actually could touch if we bounced, if that makes sense. And so we finally got up on the shore, and, and no joke, it was like a movie. Like, literally, it was like a movie. I am, like, crawling, literally, on the beach, finally. I'm coughing. I'm spitting up water. I mean, people are looking and they're like, oh gosh, there was somebody drowning out there. <laughs> and it was a horrible experience. In fact, to this day, to this day, no joke, if I go to an ocean and there are large waves, like I'm talking like eight footers, 10 footers, 12 foot swell, something like that, I, I don't want to go in the water. Because it's in my head. Like, I, I literally almost died that day. And that's not an exaggeration to make a, a, a great story during a sermon. Like, I actually now have a fear of going into, like, like water that's churning and, and things like that. And, and so then a few days later, the boys, you know, again, they're young. And they're like, we want to go back to the beach. Let's go to Shipwreck Beach. I'm like, are you crazy? I'm like, Dad almost died died at Shipwreck Beach. What? I'm not going back there. And as I thought of that, that story this week, as I was prepping today's message on being summer strong, I thought, you know what? That story, for some of us, is a metaphor of what we're going through on the inside, maybe not looking like it on the outside. What do I mean by that? That um, you're right now, you're caught in some deep waters of life. And, and there is a, uh, a churning that's going on inside of you and, and, and a potential you feel like you're a drowning person right now in the circumstances or the finance or the health diagnosis or the relationship or the addiction or whatever it is. And you're in these deep waters and you're tired and you're trying to hang on to your family and you're trying to hang on to your friendships or your business or your health or your emotions or your finance and you're doing everything you can to keep your head above water but it just seems like you're exhausted. Now, now some of you, you're not presently experiencing this. And, and you know what, if, if so, that's great but I guarantee you, you've probably experienced it in the past and I'm not trying to be negative here, you'll probably experience it in the future. And here's the reason why. 
We live in a hopelessly broken world. It's called life. And sometimes things happen, and we feel like we're drowning in life's circumstances, right? I would say all of us have probably experienced that sometime in our past. Well, in the waters, you need to know this, that Jesus sees you, and his power and his strength and his provision is on the way. And there's a story in the Old Testament that I want to focus on today. And the Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. And it's about God's people standing in the waters. They're standing in the current. They're, they're, they're trying not to get swept away. And they're tired. And they're hanging on for dear life. And I want to talk about that today because if you're going through it, today's for you. If you're not going through that kind of a circumstance, then file this. File this sermon in your memory because here's the reason why. You will go through deep waters at some point. So here, here's a question that I have for each and every one of us. The question is this. Have you ever been faithful to God and yet you haven't seen the breakthrough that you thought God would give you yet? Have you ever been faithful to God? Like you have been faithful and you're like, okay, I've been faithful. Where's the breakthrough? Where's the miracle? Where's the healing? Where's the provision? Where is the answer? Where's the help? Where's the money? Where is the hand of God in all of this? Because I've been doing exactly what the Bible said. I've been obeying the Bible. I've been doing the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to church. I'm going to life group. I'm, I'm doing everything God says. I'm standing on the promises of the word of God. And yet, none of these promises seem to become a reality in your life. You ever been there before? Like, we think many times life as equational, A plus B equals C. So we're like, word of God plus my obedience equals a life free of struggle. <laughs> but yet, it's not your reality. The equation is broken, right? See, today we want to talk about the children of Israel, and they had just spent... 400 plus years in a place of slavery called Egypt. You guys know the story, so I'm going to FedEx the story, but you know the story. Even if you don't go to church, you probably have heard the story of Moses, and you heard the story about the children of Israel being released from, you know, uh, Egypt and, and Pharaoh's uh, dictation dictatorship, you could say, and they find themselves at the Red Sea, and Moses raises his rod, and a miracle happens, and the Red Sea parts, and the children of Israel walk through on dry land, and then the Red Sea collapses behind them on the armies of, of Egypt. And, and, and now we're going to kind of like fast forward about 40 years. They've wandered around in a desert forever in the wilderness for 40 years, 40 years, long time. Moses dies, so the leader dies. And now Joshua, his protege, takes over. And now Joshua is the person that's in charge of leading, we think, about three million Israelites into the promised land. Three million people. That's like half the size of Chicago. I mean, think about this. You're in charge, right? And so now they're up against this natural boundary called the Jordan River. And the Jordan River stood between the wilderness and separated it from the promised land. They just had to get across the Jordan. And we pick this up in Joshua chapter 3, this story where now there's these millions of Israelites and this leader by the name of Joshua, and they are now pinned up against this river, and they've got to get across it to get to the promised land. It says this in verse 7 and 8, and then I'm going to jump forward to 15 and 16 in chapter 3. 
The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you a great leader in the eyes of all the Israelites. So here's the Lord saying, Joshua, I know Moses has been your leader, but now today you're the leader. I'm going to make you great, okay? They will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. It's interesting. So get into the river. Tell the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant. I'll, I'll explain what that is in a moment, but get into the river, all right? Then it says, but it was harvest season. So the Bible's telling us it's a certain type of the, time of the year when, when actually the banks of the Jordan were overflowing, it says. But as soon as the feet of the priests who are carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up, listen, a great distance away at a town called Adam. So here is God telling Joshua to cross over the Jordan. And the way he's going to do it is he says, get the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant, so to, to, to like take the Ark with them, and it took four priests to do this at least, all right? And stand in the middle of the river in a sense. And, and, and so what is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, some of you saw like Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is not accurate, but, but anyway, it was kind of a gold box, you could say. It housed the presence of God, the Ten Commandments, and a few other things. So the presence of God was in the Ark of the Covenant, and the Jordan River was overflowing during the season. And so this was not like an easy kind of river to get across. In fact, the water was kind of rushing, there was a current, and then the, the river was high. And so the Bible talks about that, that the children of Israel had been in the wilderness for 40 years. In the Bible, typically a generation is 40 years. Now I realize we now look at generations like Gen Z and, you know, millennials and Gen X and, and builders and boomers and all these different labels that we have. They're not necessarily 40 years apart. But back in the Bible days, when it said a generation, it meant basically 40 years of time. So you think about this, an entire generation has grown up in the desert. An entire generation has wandered around the desert because they wandered around for 40 years. But there were people who were in that group of Israelites who remembered Egypt. Now, they were probably the grandparents. They were the older ones. They had remembered Egypt. They remembered the miracle about how God had brought them out of Egypt. And they had remembered the miracle of the Red Sea. Like grandpa and grandma, they remembered when Moses raised his rod and all of a sudden the Red Sea went and spread and separated apart. And they walked across on dry land. And probably they told their grandkids and their kids, they're like, hey, this is what happened. It was amazing. Like God showed up and all of a sudden the Red Sea parted. So the people who are now at the Jordan River either had experienced or had heard about the miracle of the Red Sea. And now it's their turn to see God move. I mean, think about this. If you're one of the children of Israel and you're standing on the shore of the Jordan River and you are knowing that God has commanded the priest to take the ark into the river, what are you assuming is going to happen? Because you've heard about the story that took place 40 years ago. You think what's going to happen is that all of a sudden the priests are going to step into the river. They're going to step into the Jordan. And guess what God's going to do? <laughs> Separate it. 
And all of a sudden, there's going to be dry land, and three million Israelites are going to be able to walk across it, right? Well, what happens? What happens is this, is they step into the river with the ark, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. What does the Bible say? Read the Bible very carefully when you read it. It says that God turned off the water, shut the water down, created the miracle at a town called Adam that was a great distance away. I want you to put yourself in this moment. Now, we don't know exactly where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. We just don't know exactly, all right? But we kind of have an idea based upon landmarks that they had talked about on the journey up to the Jordan River. We kind of have an idea of the region of where maybe they crossed, all right? And, and if that is true, then the place where they may have crossed the Jordan River, the town of Adam was approximately 30 miles upstream. Now, when you think about this, if the water was traveling at, let's say, five miles an hour, that meant that when the priest stepped into the water and the miracle happened 30 miles upstream, it took six hours before the miracle was realized where the people were crossing. Now, I want you to really stop for a moment. If you had grown up in the wilderness and you heard grandpa and grandma talking about the Red Sea, and the miracle about how Moses had raised his arms and the Red Sea goes whoosh. And now all of a sudden you're in your Red Sea moment, but it's a different body of water. It's the Jordan River. And you're like, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Oh, man, Johnny, I'm telling you what, this is going to be awesome. Susie, this is going to be great. You watch this because this is what's going to happen. Those, those priests, they're going to step in with the ark. And guess what God's going to do? He's going to do this parting of the, of the river. It's going to be amazing. And instead... What happens is God creates a miracle 30 miles away. Which means this. You watch the priests with the ark and the presence of God step into the water and nothing happens. Do you imagine what it was like that day? I mean, literally, tens of thousands of people on the shore, on the bank of this river, and all of a sudden the priests step in and they're like, Awkward, right? Imagine if you were one of the priests. You're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, here's a, here a little law that God created. You couldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant. Because it was so holy, if you actually touched the golden box, you'd die. So they had these like rings on the side of the Ark that they'd put these rods through, and the priests would actually put the rods on their shoulders and carry four of them the Ark. So now they're standing in a current. They're standing in a water hanging on to the rod. They step into the water, and they're expecting a miracle, and the miracle isn't happening near them. They don't know that the water's been shut off 30 miles upstream. They have no idea. Put yourself in that moment. What would that have felt like to you? As you are waiting for hours for a miracle to be realized. You ever been there before? 
See, some of you are like going, I, I have been in that moment. I've obeyed God. I've done things his way. I've done the right thing. I started tithing. I started to have a good attitude. I tried to have humility with my coworker who's a jerk. I, I, you know, I'm trying to be humble with the people around me. I'm claiming my healing. I decided to forgive somebody that I had bitterness towards. I did it God's way. I stepped into the water. I'm waiting for the miracle. And you know what? I did things, everything the way that God wanted me to do it. And nothing happened. No miracle, no provision, no breakthrough, no good feelings, nothing. You just stood there in the middle of the flood of confusion, the current of your problems, just hanging on to God. You ever been there before? I have. And, and you know what? In the story in the Old Testament, evidently, after the Hebrew priests had been standing there for probably a really long time, hanging on to the presence of God, the water began to slowly go away. In other words, the miracle had shown up. But this is the thing. If God shut the water down up at Adam, approximately 30 miles away, it took time for it to reach them. And how did that miracle happen? Think about this. If it had traveled approximately 30 miles and finally got to them, how did that miracle happen? The water was here, and then slowly went to here, slowly went to here, there was no, like, whoosh. <laughs> there was no parting of the Red Sea. There was like, oh, the water went down a millimeter. Great. Awesome. And now another millimeter. And now it's down to my knees. And now it's down to my shins. And you see, here's the thing. What an amazing story and what great relevance it has to you and I today. Because waters could represent the sorrows, the problems, the circumstances in our current personal lives, which seem to contradict the sovereignty of our God, right? Have you ever experienced a circumstance that makes it look like God is a liar? <laughs> See, God said he'd fulfill his promises. He said he was in control. He said he was going to do something, and yet, here I still stand today in my water, in the current. Here's a question. What has greater impact on your life? The journey of struggle or the promise that is fulfilled? Think about it. Think about it. What has a greater impact in your life? Like when you're going through a journey of struggle or when you actually experience the miracle, you experience the, the promise, the, the promise comes to fruition. What, what really has the impact in your life? Well, I would probably say, to be fair, it's probably both. However, one is a lot more enjoyable than the other, right? You ever met somebody who went through a real season of struggle, and yet on the backside of that experience, they told you that they are grateful for that journey of struggle? They, like they say, you know what? I'd never go through it again. I don't want to go back in the waters like that. I don't want to be in the current. I feel like I was drowning. But guess what? I am so grateful because that work did a deep work in me. I was obediently waiting while I was standing in the rushing water, hanging on to the presence of God. And that work was done in me. It was not a Red Sea miracle. It was a Jordan River miracle. It was different. Yes, it wasn't, the problem wasn't taken away immediately in a miracle, but rather little by little by little by little, God gave me the strength to endure it, and I got through it. There was a sifting in the struggle. There was a refining in the hardship. There was a character building in the conflict. There was a soul searching in the sorrowful moments. You don't want to swim in those waters again. 
But guess what? It did a work in you that standing on the shore would never do. Sometimes you have to be in the water, the water of confusion, hardship, even sickness, the water of desperation, the currents of feeling like you're being persecuted. I'm telling you, these are real moments in our lives, and sometimes we're in those deep waters, and we feel like we're going to drown. Oswald Chambers, who was a great man of God, lived many years ago, said this. He wrote, It is not true to say that God wants to teach us something in our trials. He wants us to, listen, unlearn something. Oh, that, I'm telling you, that right there, that could be a sermon series. His purpose in using the waters is to simplify our beliefs until our relationship with him is exactly that of a child. When I was uh, almost drowning that day in Kauai, I'll tell you what I was not thinking about. I was not thinking about whether in Revelation it talks about the rapture was going to happen and us Christians would be here or not, or even if the rapture was going to happen. I wasn't thinking about that theology. I wasn't thinking about the theology of, you know, of, you know, whether or not I believe that people could be once saved, always saved, you know, lose their salvation. I mean, all those things, right? I wasn't thinking about, you know, who's the president of the United States. I wasn't thinking about, you know, um, whether or not, uh, you know, we should wear masks or anything. Of course, this was many years ago. Uh, I wasn't thinking about any of those things. You know why I wasn't thinking about it? This is what I was thinking about. God, save me. That's all I was thinking. Literally, I was like, I don't want to die. It wasn't like I was thinking about all this theological things that many times we as Christians get hung up on and argue about and fixate on that really does not matter. It was rather, I was like, God save me. I don't want to die. And that's what the waters do is when you get into those deep waters, everything becomes simple. Like a child. Dad, I need you. Save me, right? And you hear Christians arguing about all this garbage that in 100 years won't even matter when we're all in heaven. Does that make sense? So here's my last question. What do you hang on to in the middle of your floodwaters? Because you can hang on to fear or you could hang on to faith. The Levites, the priests, they hung on to the presence of God. And, and, and so what do you hang on to? They didn't let go. I mean, when they were knee-deep, waist-deep, neck-deep in the water, they had to grab onto something. They grabbed onto God. Most of the time, we grab onto fear. And, and the question that fear asks is, what if? What if God doesn't come through? What if his promises aren't true? What if the diagnosis is real and it's going to take me out? What if, what if my business doesn't turn around? What if the marriage doesn't get better? What if my child never comes back to faith? What if I really didn't hear God in the first place? See, see, this is the thing. Fear asks, what if? And it's tempting in those moments to hang on to fear and not hang on to God because you can't hang on to both at once, okay? You can't hang on to God and hang on to fear at the same time. So this is the thing. You got to let go of God to hang on to fear. You got to let go of fear to hang on to God. Joshua could have said, hey, boys, come out of the water. I didn't hear this right. I, I thought God said to step into the water, but nothing happened. <laughs> How would you respond to your circumstances if you knew the miracle was right upstream? How would you respond if you knew the miracle was on the way? 
How would you respond? See, God reserves the right to answer our prayers according to his will and in any way that he wants. He holds the right to fulfill his promises in any way he wants. He's God, all right? Which means this, he doesn't have to follow our script. He doesn't have to meet our expectations. He can do it a different way. He doesn't have to do it within our time frame. He can do a different miracle like the one that, than the one that he recently did. See, it works patience in our life. And I will tell you from personal experience, God rarely answers my prayers the way I think he's going to. But he always answers my prayers. Patience. Obedience until. Why? Well, because the miracle, the answer to your prayer, it's just upstream. It's coming. So stand. Hang on to the presence of God and his word. My strength is weak. It's not sufficient. But God's strength is perfect. Paul writes this as we close in 2 Corinthians. But he said to me, meaning God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. When you're drowning, that's when God's strength is there. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, the deep waters. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So as we close today, do you, do you need strength to stand today? Do you need the presence of God in your life? Do you need the Holy Spirit to be poured out on you in your situation right now that you are in? Do you need encouragement? Do you feel like you're drowning right now? Do you need help to stand? Well, I want to tell you, God is with you, and he is able, and he is powerful, and his power works best in the middle of the currents of life when it feels like you're drowning. He is the firm footing in the middle of the current of your life. You need to believe for a breakthrough because it's coming. It's just upstream. I know you don't see it. You're standing in the middle of the waters. You're trying to be obedient. You're hanging on to the presence of God and nothing is happening. But listen, God's answer is just upstream. It's coming. And it's going to be a miracle that maybe isn't the kind that you're used to, where all of a sudden the waters part. Maybe it's a miracle of little by little by little by little. God begins to dissolve the problems you're going through and reduce the flood. And you are stronger and stronger and stronger in the middle of it. Oh, Jesus, we need you today. Jesus, we need you today. Holy Spirit. There are people listening right now in City First, sitting in an auditorium, sitting in a living room, sitting in a City First Anywhere watch party. They need you. They don't need another good sermon. They don't need some nice thought. They don't need a pep talk. They need a miracle. They need the waters to, to subside and to to begin to go down because they're drowning on the inside. And Lord, I pray that today, may they be encouraged that the miracle is on the way. God's answer 
His provision, His promise is true. It is on the way. Jesus, you have not just let them just sit there and drown in the deep waters. You're with them. And you're working in the background. And God, I pray that right now that you would pour out your spirit. I pray, Lord God, you pour out your spirit upon people. I pray you pour out your spirit upon situations. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would break addictions. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring healing to sick bodies. I pray that, Lord God, your Holy Spirit would give wisdom and provision, Lord God, to those that need it. I pray that, Lord, that those that are drowning in bitterness, as they forgive, that, Lord God, you would begin to restore their soul. May they be able to walk straight again, not with fear or anger, but, Lord, I pray that they would be able to put their shoulders back knowing that you, Lord God, are their foundation. God, I pray whatever people are going through right now, Jesus, pour out your spirit, I pray. Pour out your spirit in the middle of the deep waters as they hang on to your presence. May they have faith to know that the answer is just upstream, that you've not forgotten them. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.